Worship is a privilege. It is not necessarily a right, but it is a privilege. It is a right as the citizens of heaven, as children of God. And in some ways, we worship many different things, and that's really what we're looking at today. The title of the sermon today is Trust Issues. And when I mentioned that, I knew going into it, if that was the title, there would be so many things that would start to flood your mind on trust issues. I'm going to be very specific with where I go today. This is my life passage in Scripture, Jeremiah 17, 5-9. through 9. And I'm going to share why it is my life passage and how it tremendously helps me as I move through the Scripture today. What I'm going to ask for each of you is that you think through what those trust issue areas are for yourself and then you start to ask and consider, am I a dried out bush or am I a thriving, secure tree? And you're saying, what is this horticulture bomb you're throwing down on me, Pastor? Well, I'll explain it when we get there to the end. A favorite moment in my life had to do with a camp that I used to take my students to when I was doing youth ministry down in Los Angeles, and we would go out every summer to an incredible camp called Campus by the Sea. And some of you who are watching now, you know that camp. My kids grew up at that camp. And one of the luxurious parts, because when you think going out to Catalina for summer camp, you're like, I'm in. That's, that's going to be beautiful, right? Well, we go to a secluded, uh, incredible, in my opinion, Club Med experience private cove for our camp, and in the middle of the week, imagine this, they actually make every student, every camper, every counselor climb over a 2,300-foot-high peak. In the middle of the week on Wednesday, they just stop the entire program, and everybody gets up early at 6 a.m. and falls out of bed, and they look so great. And then we're all prepared for hiking. We go up this ridge till we get to the top, and then we go down. And the part that motivates not just the students, but the staff as well, is there is this incredible tourist town just waiting for you. There's great food. There's great entertainment. Actually, we would all get bored within about two hours and really be waiting to get back to our slice of heaven uh, the camp. So imagine that and, and how you could get bored uh, there in Avalon on Catalina Island. So what we would do is we made our own fun. After a certain point in time, once you're done eating, once you've done the mini golf, and, and, and there's not much else to do um, if you've toured the different places and you're kind of out there for the fifth, sixth time. So we kind of made our own fun. And right by the drugstore there on the main uh, walkway is a big plaza. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. And there's a uh, fountain in the middle of the plaza, and, you know, they do a lot of stage performances there. Well, one of the things that we would do, and we did this for about five years running, I'm a little ashamed to say it, but I'm going to share it for the sake of, of our message today, is that we would take a dollar. Now, I, I didn't have a dollar, and just 
accounting for inflation, that was probably the late 90s. So we're just going to say this is a $5 bill, but we're going to say that uh, it's, it was a $1 bill back then. So it's about worth the same. This thing's pretty ragtag and torn up. And it looks a lot like, and this is actually what reminded me of this illustration, this is about how the dollar would look when we got done with what I'm about to share with you. See, what we would do is we would go into a tackle shop and we would get uh, about 10-pound test fishing line and some tape. And we would roll out about 50 feet of line and we would straighten it as much as we could and then we would tape it to the dollar bill. Then we would sit by the fountain in the middle of the, uh, the big circle with hundreds upon hundreds of tourists walking by. And we would put it in someone's hand like this, and they would just kind of be walking through, and then they would just kind of casually drop it on the ground and just keep walking. And so the gig was this. It was so fun to be sitting and watch the tourists and see who would actually stop. And just like all the YouTube videos that you've ever seen, you know, people would walk by and then they'd, they'd look at it, then they'd look around, like, really? There's a dollar just sitting here and nobody... And, uh, and, and some people would just kind of put their foot <laughs> over it and, and pretend it wasn't there and go down, you know, tie their shoelaces and, and then pick it up. Well, what would happen is they would, you know, look and then they would bend over, pick it up, put it in their pocket and start walking away. But right as they start to put it in their pocket, boom, it flies out of their pocket. And they look around, they're like, what? And they would go to pick it up again. And right when they would try to pick it up, it would move. And the, the, the real fun part was to watch how many times they would try to bend over and pick this thing up over and over and over because they were so wanting a dollar bill. They put all their trust into that. And so they would keep doing And eventually, they could hear the laughter from the people around them, and they realized they were being punked. Now, the crazy thing about that was you would think, and then, and then our guy would go out and pick up the dollar and bring it back. You would think that those individuals would get mad and just storm off and, and call security or whatever. no. They went off to the side and they sat down because they wanted to watch the next person get punked. And within about 15 minutes, we would have a crowd of 500 people just standing around like there was a performance going on. People looking around, why, why is everybody? And then our guy would drop the dollar and then somebody would try to, and then it would just start scooting along and they couldn't figure it out. And every time they'd bend over to try to pick it up and it would move, there's this huge roar from, from the crowd of people, and they're looking around like, why is... And then all of a sudden they realize they're being laughed at, and by then people started moving on. Lots of fun. I don't necessarily recommend it. It's, it's kind of a cruel joke, but at the same time, the illustration stands true. And, and, and I'll pull that into our message today, the idea that you know, we, we see something in front of us and we think it's there for the taking. We think we've got the strength to grab it. We think we've got the ability to capture it. We think that if we get it, the heart starts beating a little faster, right? And, 
And we start imagining how that's going to strengthen our position. Maybe not with a dollar, but little kids, yeah, little kids, they see a dollar laying, and they're like, they're like I, I made it, man. And the fascinating thing is how fleeting that situation became. And that sense of, of humility on one level that someone got caught trying to put their trust in grabbing something that wasn't even theirs. Realizing that they got played. And we do that in our own lives. I like to term it waltzing with the evil one. We do it in our own lives. And our society today is what, what I like to call a dumpster fire, effectively. And so with that, let me take you to the passage, Jeremiah 17, and let you know why this is one of my favorite passages. So this section has everything to do with God's warning to Judah about their sin. It was not popular to be a prophet in the Old Testament because you either struggled with uh, your position and the calling because it was not going to make you popular with the people, and if you succumbed to that and you said, like Jonah, no, I just don't want to do that, then you had to deal with God saying, no, you are going to do it. Really hard job being a prophet in the Old Testament. So God has given this set of instructions to Jeremiah, passing it on to Judah, saying you need to repent from your sin. And the Lord uses this illustration to point out the consequences of the decisions and the trust issues that Judah as a nation had. Let me go ahead and read the whole passage, and we'll scroll through the verses as I uh, read them from my Scripture. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 9. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. So that's, that's pretty scary, right? That... God is being very particular to Judah, the nation that he had said, I am your God. They said, you are our God. And yet Judah gave their hearts over to the surrounding nations and started worshiping other gods and started worshiping their own things. And God would warn and warn and warn. And he would practice mercy and mercy and mercy. And we see a repetitive statement in in the Old Testament books, in the Torah, over and over, where this phraseology is used. You stiff-necked people. Because Israel and Judah were so stiff-necked and stubborn. Because they had trust issues. And honestly, their trust issues came not as a result of God abandoning them, their trust issues came because they got their eyes off of God, the author and perfecter of their faith. They had trust issues because they started serving other gods. They started uh, uh, commingling in areas and doing idol worship and exchanging that relationship 
with their God who cared for them and provided for them because they had trust issues. And so they started going down their own path of chasing after fleeting dollars. How do you get to that point? And so God says in this instruction, this very poignant passage, He talks about the fact that cursed is the man who trusts in man. Have you ever been burnt by a friend? Have you ever been betrayed by a loved one? We see it around us all the time. So what's the answer? Well, the beautiful part is that God gives us the answer. Because that idea of betrayal is never going to change this side of heaven. Because sin exists. And as long as we permit ourselves to continue sinning, And because there are those who reject God, there will always be sin until God returns. We always have to live in, through, or around this state of sin. And because of that, we're always going to have the challenges of trusting either in ourselves, in things, or in God. And the reality is, no matter how much I do this second part that I'm going to read in a moment, No matter how much I do that, I'm still going to be betrayed by man. I'm still going to put my heart into the wrong things when I get my eyes off of God. I can't control, well, I can control the latter, but I can't control the former. And yet there is an answer to that that we'll talk about briefly. So continuing on in the passage, you start with the curse for those who what? Who put their trust in man. But then God says, But here's the reality of what I have set up. Here is the relationship available to you who have trust issues. But blessed, verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And here is the summation of of why we have these trust issues. You ready? The heart, and this is the, the, the consummating value of what God says, why there is this um, challenge and dichotomy of, of trusting in man versus trusting in God. He says, for the heart is deceitfully or the heart is deceitful above all things, and it is desperately sick. My friends, we wonder why there is so much tension and so much anger within the world. And I'm going to get to, in a little bit, hopefully I remember to look in my notes, I'm going to get to a video that I put up on my Facebook this past week that I saw um, that is just the perfect presentation of what we're looking at today. You see, there are those things that come in and separate us from the love of God. From God's what? From God's uh, ultimate will and design and plan for our lives. His will and His plan was not a brokenness that we're all experiencing. His will was goodness, and He just simply gave one prohibition. That, those two trees, just don't eat from those. And you'll be fine. But something came in and divided mankind from God. And that was sin. And in this video, 
that I show. Well, I'm going to remember to share with you in a minute, but I, I was teasing it there. There's a reason why we have this dichotomy, and God brings it to the forefront. If you trust in man, you will be cursed. If you trust in God, you will be blessed. And here's the summation of why we have this tension. It's because the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And, and I'm just going to give you the bonus material here. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. That is desperately important to understand and know because Judah received consequences for their choices. God removed his hand of protection. And they went through horrible, hor just read through Jeremiah, read through Isaiah, read through Lamentations, read through those, those major prophets and minor prophets and see what was the result. Now where we mess this up, where we have trust issues with God is that we want to blame what man's decisions were on God. And yet God is saying, the heart, your heart, is deceitful. Who can know it? Let's unpack this this morning. Here's some key questions. And, and as I get ready to, to bring these key questions to you, I think if I'm to uh, surmise this, message today, I would say it has to do with two things, regret or security, right? The idea of, of there is a curse for the man who trusts in man. There's your regret, right? How many of us have regrets because of trust issues? I can hear your hearts bleeding right now. How many of us have seen incredible things that go beyond our ability, our strength, our understanding that God has provided for us in the midst of difficulty. And that provides a security for us moving forward. Regret versus security. Your relationships, your health, your soul. So here's some key questions this morning. And I think I may have this up on the up on the slides. Let's look at this. So why, why did I feel compelled to bring this to you today? Why did I feel like you needed to hear this? We're getting ready to do a sermon series called Security. And there is a sense with all that's going on in the world around us and being disassociated with one another, disassociated in worship, that we don't feel as secure as we used to. With the constant pressure and threat of the idea that uh, the virus is, is going to take either my life or lives of people around us. Now, the dividing wall that I'm going to speak of in a, in a moment, this dividing wall that comes between people, this idea of that anxiousness, that difficulty, the heat, right, uh, is even surrounded in the concepts of the vaccine that's coming. I just saw something and I haven't been able to verify if it's real or not. I don't have time to do that. If I did that for how many stories I see uh, laying out there, uh, I, would, I would just get on a boat and, and never come back. Uh, but the idea is this, that there's a bunch of people in Germany this past week that quote-unquote died from the vaccine. And we have this big debate now now it's not, not the mask, no mask group. Now it's the vacciners versus the no vaccine, right? And, and I feel you guys tensing up out there. 
And uh, what's fascinating is we all know that we don't like that. And, and even as we're born into this earth, uh, Justin and Ashley gave birth. Well, Ashley gave birth. Justin watched. Um, so good job, Justin. Uh, well done. Uh, to their new son, AJ, Asher. And, uh, and so Justin yesterday showed me video of, of AJ, and he looks so good. He looks so peaceful, and he's laying in the, in the uh, bassinet or the baby carrier or whatever you call that thing. And um, he's got his little beanie on, and uh, his color looks good. And, and, and if you look real close, you can even see like a smile. And then enters the picture, the big needle, and it goes into his leg, and they inject him with vaccine of some sort, and he's still got this smile. And Justin says to me, wait for it, and a delayed response of just voluminous screaming comes out of AJ. One of those things you hate to see your baby go through, and yet you're convinced this is going to be good for him. This is the world we live in, and it starts at birth. The pains that we have to go through because of the broken world all around us. And are we going to put our trust into a vaccine? Are we going to put trust into science when we know that science isn't perfect? Are we going to put trust into uh, just saying, well, God will take care of me? Brothers and sisters, there are a lot of dead people who are needlessly dead because they just felt like, hey, God's going to take care of me, and they were careless with what they were doing concerning the virus. We have trust issues. So let's start with these key questions. Number one, what is trust? If we're going to talk about trust issues, we have to ask this question, what is trust? Now, I'm not going to answer these questions. I just, I'm setting the table for you. Secondly, what do we tend to put our trust in? And not just esoterically, but what do we tend to put our trust into daily? Right? Following that up is a great question. What tends to let us down daily? I can just simply say Windows 10 updates. And, and all of you are going to groan, right? I could go on and on and on, but I've got one more for you. What do we assume but fail to consciously contemplate about trust? What do I mean by that? I think there are things that I put trust into even as I'm standing here. This floor behind me is creaking. I helped install this floor, so I, I, I kind of know it's solid and I don't need to worry about it, but you put someone else here and they hear it creaking. Since we've been here, there have been three thuds against the building somewhere, and we don't know if we're under attack or the building's just falling apart. But we're still standing here because we assume our experience informs us, hey, we've been in this building how many years, and, and it's not falling down, so we're going to trust it. And yet there are many people who have suffered incredible consequences because they never stopped to consider the blind spots and they never thought through the challenges of trust and what we assume should happen, but we fail to consciously contemplate about trust. 
So let's start with this idea of curse, because that's where God starts. Our society is broken and finding fault everywhere. And so let me give you uh, details to this illustration I was talking about that I found this past week. It's a video of two dogs. And, and there's got to be some pit bull in them somewhere. I mean, these are strong, hefty dogs. And there's an automatic gate. And, and at the end of the gate, there's probably about a six-inch gap. And the dogs are like viciously trying to dominate right through that gap. You see the, you see the mouth of the one inside the property coming out in his teeth, and, and the other one's got his mouth, and they're just, you know, just going at it. And you're like, oh my gosh, thank God that gate's there. Well, then someone pushes a button, and the gate starts to move back. You're like, no! And the most fascinating thing happens. The gate comes back, and the dogs start wagging their tail and just start sniffing each other. Completely calm. And then they push the button again, the gate closes, and when the gate closes, this happens five straight times. It is the most bizarre looking thing, but it, it, it just reminded me that this is what it means. This whole cursed and, and putting your trust into man is exactly that, because here's what happens, and here's why we have trust issues. Because there are those things in our life that come between us whether it's in our marriages, whether it's in our friendships, whether it's in our families, whether it's at work, wherever it is, there are things that happen that divide us, right? And suddenly you find yourself being unfriended by people who no longer want to be in your life because of a third-party issue. But when you remove that issue, there's just the peace and there's the community and my prayer for our churches, not just our church, but all churches, is that because there's been this dividing wall to keep us apart, we tend to start snapping and biting. I pray that the, that dividing wall can be pulled back and there can be peace again. But we do that with so many different things in our lives, my friends. So why does this curse happen? Because we put our trust in Man. There's three keys to defining this curse. Number one, trusting man. Okay, he says it right at the beginning. You know, curse is the one who trusts in man. Second, he says, making flesh your strength. What does that mean? That means trusting in my strength, my ability, the flesh, not God. Not the, the spiritual nature of things as commanded by our Lord and Savior. What else? He says, our heart turns away from the Lord. Let me take some time on this because this is really a key point. God is pretty definitive here saying cursed is the one. And you're going to hear what the result of that is in, in some definable ways that God explains. Look, because you do these things, because you trust in man, because you put your trust in the flesh, right? <clears throat> and because your heart turns away from the Lord, this is what your life will end up looking like, and that is the curse. So we better pay attention, should we not? Because there's example all around where we can see this is happening, and some of us are involved in that. Some of us are asking in, or, or blaming God when it's on us. We've put our trust into things that fail, and we want to blame God. And so the defining aspect of this is that last statement. 
where our heart turns away from God. You see, that's exactly what happened to Judah. They trusted in mankind. They stopped trusting in God. They started believing in themselves. They stopped believing in God. Eventually, their heart turned away from God. When those components are active and they happen, then you end up just like Judah, into a cursed place. Now the question that I would ask if I was listening to this message is, am I there yet? Well, let's listen to how God describes three defining, um, or three ident- identifying marks. And these are metaphors for destruction. He says, you're going to be like a shrub in the desert. Well, what is that? Well, it's not pretty. Nobody's going out into the desert and grabbing a tumbleweed and planting it in their garden, right? There's no great rush. Don't, don't go out to the, uh, to the farmer's market and ask, you guys have a fresh crop of tumbleweeds? Because nobody's buying. It is a picture of the destitute. It is a picture of that which has no life. It's empty. It's devoid. Right? So he says, you are like a shrub in the desert. Then he says, you will fail to see prosperity. And, and he goes even beyond that. Even the, the idea and the way the language is written is even when prosperity is all around you, right? That you should be benefiting as well. It's almost like going through a buffet and, and, and your family takes you and you know grandpa's popping for the, for the bill. You're like, yeah, I'm going to get a good meal here at the Golden Corral. I don't know if that can actually happen. But anyway, you, you go through and it would be tantamount to this. Every time you get to a dish, it's empty. But everybody that goes through in front of you and everybody that goes through behind you either got served or as you move to the next dish they bring out a fresh load of food. Wouldn't you start to wonder, am I cursed? (laughs) After about the fourth tray? That's really what God is saying here. It's not just that you're not going to prosper. It's that even when there's prosperity all around you, you will be a dry shrub in the desert. Defining what this curse looks like. You'll be stuck into poverty. You will be impoverished. Judah was subjugated by other countries. They lost their homes. They lost their rights. They lost their freedoms. They lost their possessions. God warned them and they refused to listen because they trusted in themselves, they trusted in man, and their hearts turned away from God. And every metaphor that God uses in this prophecy is exactly the picture of Judah years later. And then at the very end, he talks about being in a desolate salt salt place, right? Let me read exactly what he says. In an uninhabited salt land, a poisoned place And I would say this, it's not just a poison place, it's a poison place of loneliness. That part of this curse includes the concept of being lonely. And he's not necessarily saying that you're going to be banished into a desert all by yourself. Many individuals know that there can be those around us in a crowd that have immense trust issues so deep that they feel immense loneliness. 
And it doesn't matter where they go. Regardless of the, of the scene, regardless of the circumstances, it's always a poisoned place for them. That's hard to hear about God, isn't it? And that's why so many people have turned their back on God, is that they blame God for those issues. I need to remind you, because we're going to segue into it here, I need to remind you that this was never what God desired. And whether it was his original plan, and my Arabic friends from our Arabic church would say, Inshallah, hopefully I said that right, as God willed it, it was that there would be harmony and provision and beauty. The garden is a stark contrast to this curse that the Lord is talking about. This curse is self-inflicted. But God, as I reminded you last week out of James 4, He is a jealous God. He calls those who pay attention to other things, to idols, and, and, and to themselves and their own selfishness, their own agenda, not inshallah, right? He calls them an adulterous people. This is the picture of our God. Not one with retribution. Not one necessarily whose first agenda is wrath but one who loves so deeply and has sacrificed so deeply that it is painful for him when we reject. And so, just like an impetulant child with a stiff and stubborn neck, he says, I will do what is necessary to get you to turn back because this leads to destruction. You have trust issues not because of me, but because of your own recourse, your own choices, and you're not cursed because of me. You are cursed because you, you submit yourself to a yoke of sin. Galatians 5.1 So let's look at the hope in, in what the Lord says here. So let me just share with you kind of why this matters to me. Because there are multiple times in my life where I have felt betrayed or I have felt burdened and, and felt lonely and, and felt like the victim. Can you relate? because of people and how people have treated me through their choices. This was incredibly freeing when I first read it, because what it instructs me is, what did you expect? People are going to sin. What did you expect? It is part of our nature until we come into grace, until we take that sin nature, we surrender it to God, and we said fully, I am yours, and I follow you 100%. And we'll get to that in a second. Then we will always be people to one measure or another who serve ourselves, serve others, and turn our back on God. When that happens, that dividing wall of pain comes between us, and you have the two violent dogs ready to tear each other apart. I've been on that side. And it caused massive depression for me. It caused me not to want to engage. It started to strip hope from my life that this world and, and what it has to offer is nothing that I want. And so what's the point? But this passage helped me understand. Yeah. This is who people are. So when you put your trust 
into failed processes, right? It's like the dollar bill. After that thing moves for the sixth time, if I reach for it the seventh time and everybody's laughing at me again, do I blame the person who's yanking the string? I'll blame the person who's yanking the string the first two times. But if, if I don't learn after one, two, three times, but the, the part that's great is the individuals that saw what happened and they realized, and they probably didn't think of this at first, how fun the situation was, they could have come up and just punched us in the face. Instead, most of them <laughs> sat down and wanted to see it happen to someone else. That's who we are. And sometimes that's fine and good fun. But when you take that metaphor of how many times will I reach for something and be fooled and start to develop trust issues, how do I combat that? I learned from this passage, this is what I expect from people. It is in our nature to do what's good in our own interest, what satisfies self. And what that means is there's going to be a dividing wall at some point between me and anyone I come across. So that is what it means to coexist with people in this world. And that's why it's tragic. And that's why it's violent. And that's why it's always anxious. That's why we have so many people on medications. That's why we have people divorcing. That's why we have people murdering. That's why we have <clears throat> families that are broken and, and on and on and on. But the reason I love this passage is not because of the reality it helped me grab hold of for not just myself, but the people around me is that we're all broken. We're all bumping against each other. But it's this next part where the hope is that helps me turn to those same people and appreciate them and love them because I put my trust in the right thing. And when I put my trust in the right thing, it's not that I can't be hurt by people. It's that it's a pinprick instead of a dagger to the heart. I can handle a pinprick because Jesus handled the cross. Let's get to this blessing part. Blessed are those whose confidence is in the Lord. And this is going to be fun for me to explain this because there's a key to this. So there are two keys to defining blessing. Ready? And it's all in that first verse. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And so this word, this Hebrew word, is in this rendering a verb. And it would translate something like this. As I have a choice to make, an active choice to make, what do I do? I had to demonstrate this recently. And it was, it was a challenging week. And I would be a fool not to believe that I ended up having to take a, a, a day and a half to, to just rest. I, started, I felt like I was getting sick. I had a massive, I don't know, cramp in my neck and, and headache, and it was just exhausted. And some of it was just from the past couple weeks. But it was also because I learned again, you know, for the sixth time in two months, that I have to say goodbye to someone I care deeply about. 
So let me share, let me walk you through this. I had to make a choice to do exactly what this verse says, to trust in a verb tense, the Lord. Because the very actions of what you're experiencing now, even how clear my voice is, is because of my friend Justin Hamilton, who's sitting right there in this room. And we wanted to be able to have Justin and Ashley stay with us. And so our church met last week. It was a step of faith to approve a part-time position. I knew that that wasn't going to be the best for my friend. My, my selfish part said, we'll make it work, we'll find a way, we'll do it. And then that led to just resentment of, of why is it this church has to keep saying goodbye to very valid ministers for the kingdom's work? Why is it other churches can employ and we have to keep saying goodbye, goodbye, goodbye? Why is it I had to say goodbye to three elders within a month? I'm saying, Lord, I, I, I don't get this. I thought we were doing the right things here. But here was my prayer. And this goes back two months. The Lord didn't let me get away with being selfish, trusting in myself, turning my heart away from God. The Lord said, I am providing for Justin and Ashley and Abby and Asher. And praise God, they have been provided with a, a, an incredible position where he can use his giftedness for the church and their family can be provided for, which is what they need. And so my prayers were answered. And that's how this works. With great joy, I can send my friend off in love knowing that they're going to be taken care of. And the next thought was, okay, great, Lord, Justin got us to where we're at. Who am I going to talk to around this place day in, day out? I've had a great friendship with him. And he reminded me this, are you trusting me? Are you trusting me? Because I brought you Justin 12 months ago. You didn't even know he existed till 12 months ago. And the Lord brought Justin and Ashley to us in a very supernatural way that ministered to them and yet really helped our church during this pandemic challenge. And I was reminded to remember the Lord my God and He's in control. It doesn't mean that there isn't going to be pain. It doesn't mean that there isn't going to be sorrow. It doesn't mean that the heat doesn't come but it means that I will still stand, you will still stand, and we will bear fruit regardless of the dividing walls that temporarily cause pain. That's why I love this passage. The second part is always caught me off guard. If you have an ESV, it reads, and is and his trust is in or is the Lord. So the first rendering that you see at the beginning is trust in the Lord. That's verb, that's action. And then trust is the Lord, that's actually a noun. And when you look at the grammar of how that word is used in its original Hebrew, it speaks to the idea of refuge, of confidence, 
and of security. What a great passage to start off our sermon series on security. There are five identifying marks. So actually, let me, I'm moving on too quickly. So what does it look like to have this blessedness from God? It means on a daily basis, I'm going to be active in trusting the Lord. But a deeper commitment is that my trust is the Lord. Do you get the difference? There's two parts to that, and it's very important we don't move too quickly so you miss that. Now there are five identifying marks as well for the blessing part. I, don't, I, I want to treat both, both parts equally. And as we look through the metaphors for security, we see what? We see a stable tree with deep roots as a result of a steady supply of water. Are you steady in your supply from the Lord? I started a new devotional this year, and I, I gave this book out. It's, called the, it's a devotional called The Power of Prayer by E.M. Bounds. And this is really, really good, because if you've ever read some E.M. Bounds, uh, he's a deep thinker. And, and I, I get about four or five sentences into some of his writings, and I just have to stop. That's enough for me. So what, what this uh, editor has done is that he's taken parts of some of E.M. Bounds' writings, connected them to Scripture, and then gives a cogent thought along with a quote just for the day. And um, Thursday of this week, my devotion had everything to do with why we don't see the blessing of God. And it was out of 1 Thessalonians was the passage, and, and E.M. Bounds' point was this. We are much like the church at Ephesus, where we have one foot in and one foot out. And what does God say about that? He says he wants to spit us out of his mouth. How many of you are fine with, say you're in a dating relationship and, and we're going to do an open dating relationship, but you're like committed and you're like, yeah, let's, let's just, let's have you date two people, three people at the same time. Are you receiving the same kind of dedication, devotion, commitment that you would in a monogamous relationship? What about marriages? And our society wants to move to that. Polygamous marriages. God's not up for that. And so, E.M. Bounds says, if you want to hear from the Lord in your prayers, be honest with where your soul is at. Do the hard work. Pray that he reveals the blind spots. Next, he says, no fear when the heat comes. What a beautiful blessing. He didn't say the heat isn't going to come. But he says that the blessing of the man who puts his trust in the Lord is that he doesn't have to fear when that heat comes. <clears throat> he says that you as a tree, it, you remain fresh and vibrant. Do you feel that way spiritually? If not, then you need, to, you need to do some heart searching. You need to do some house cleaning. We need to get into a process of, of unmitigated devotion to God and trust to God. Because there's probably a mixture of trusting in myself, trusting in man, and kind of trusting in God. And then we wonder why we don't see God, why we don't feel close to Him. This is why. It means not to have worry or anxiety during dry times. And 
Lastly, he says, you will never fail to bear fruit. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I have a major challenge for you on this level. Where's your fruit? Many of us should question if we truly know the Lord. Many of us may have just bought into this because it sounded like a great uh, eternal insurance plan. But we don't know the Lord, and the Holy Spirit doesn't reside in us. There's no true conversion of the heart. There was no transformation of the old man to the new man. And therefore, a really dangerous thought here is that I have this sense because I trusted in a man who told me if I just pray a prayer, I'm good to go. There's a destruction, and that's why we have dry times. And that has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with the man or woman that failed you in helping you understand what it means to have a real relationship with God. A real relationship with God says that you will never fail to bear fruit. That doesn't mean that there may be a frost and it affects the fruit. It doesn't mean that parasites can get in there and cause the fruit to get a little ugly on occasion. But it says that you'll never fail to bear fruit. In close this morning, why is it so legitimately hard to trust God? If I'm going to share my favorite passage and why it means so much to me and how it helps me every day in my life to understand the world evolving around me and how God fits in that and how to keep myself strong in my faith, we have to be honest about some things. We have to be honest about some blind spots. We don't do what is necessary to experience God. There's no dependency needed. Right? Is it, I'm doing fine, I've got this great opportunity, I've got this great job, I'm, I'm able to pay my bills, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But there's an emptiness that can never be fulfilled by that. You heard that testimony operating sound today is Michael Camilleri, and you heard his testimony earlier this year. Michael had it all, man. Right? You had it all. And yet, he felt so empty because he had experienced the Lord earlier on, and he knew the difference. He put his trust into all these other things or into himself, and he came to a realization he was in a dry, dry place, and now he's thriving, and now that young man is bearing fruit. Phenomenal illustration of exactly what we're talking about. We're a dumpster fire, and we don't know it. We truly are. We're not honest with ourselves. We have these blind spots. So we need to have somebody examining our life. We need to ask tough questions about ourselves. And so much of the time, we're not willing to even do that, and that's an indicator that something's wrong. That's why it's so legitimately hard to trust God. We're not even willing to get in the room and have the conversation with Him. We tend to blame the wrong person. We tend to blame Him and not ourselves or the sin through other people around us. We conflate our understanding of, quote-unquote, this heat. Right? That the heat comes because of God's wrath, or it comes because we haven't been good enough, or we haven't satisfied God, or maybe it's our guilt issues, or, or whatever it is. The heat comes simply because there is sin around us. When we trust in man, we're going to get torched by that heat. The promise here is that when we trust in God, we will still thrive when the heat comes we tend to prioritize a waltz with the evil one 
rather than a quiet moment of humility with our Lord? How do we look more like a strong and secure tree than a dry and withered bush? Well, we need to recognize the dumpster fire that is mankind, and we need to uncover blind spots through prayer. And that's where verses 9 through 10 come in. When we start thinking more highly of ourselves than we really should, we need to remember that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Get some accountability. Ask tough questions. The next point that I have is desire God and dependency on Him. The next point I have may sound archaic, but it truly is the essence of what it means to move from the curse into the blessing, and that is repentance. The idea of absolutely transforming and changing and going the different direction from what you were doing, how you thought, how you responded, how you lived, and start living for the Lord. And everybody I know that makes that choice is a joyful person and a changed person. Lastly, trust and trust. Trust in the verb form and trust in the noun form. In God we trust, not the dollar. In close, you heard my little story about doing the little prank. Let me share with you how this happens. Let me share with you what this looks like when the heat comes. Let me share with you what it looks like to live in dependency on God. I had to drop out of college after my junior year, and uh, it, it was in Shahala, right? It was God's will, and that sounds weird, and it was hard. It was really hard not to graduate with my class, to leave my friends, uh, to leave the team I was part of. My senior year, they took a national championship. I lost out on all that. But had I gone that direction that I would have preferred, I never would have met my wife. I never would have had my experience in ministry, which then articulated and capitulated into step-by-step step getting to where I am today. Part of that process was going back to school years later after I was married, and my wife and I were praying, how do we do this? We had about $150 in the bank, and we had been praying for about a year, year and a half about doing this, and... Um, we just thought, this is what we're supposed to do. And so we went ahead and, and registered for classes, not knowing how we were going to pay, but depending on God because we believe this was his will. Now be careful. A lot of people go out and make really bad choices because of this kind of process. You have to be deep and thick into relationship with God to hear this. And so the moment that I hit send on the computer and registered. My wife asked, well, did you do it? And I said, yes. She walked in the room with an envelope and she said, this came today. And it was the exact amount of money we needed to register and paid for my full education to close. If I built the dependency in myself, and often I do, then I, re I don't receive that kind of a story and that kind of an interaction with God. I don't get to wade into the deeper waters of faith. This is what it looks like. My last question to you is on the screen right now. Do you have trust issues? Your security depends on where you bank. And then I'll use a, a famous quote. <laughs> What's in your wallet? Right? 
what's in your wallet? Well, I hope God's in my wallet. I hope trusting in God and even on our money, the founding fathers knew that money can be a fallacy in many ways. It's just a tool. It's just a mechanism. And even on our money they print, in God we trust, not man. Let me close in prayer and then we have a special video to remind you I would have you pay attention to the lights behind me and uh, we'll explain in this video what those lights are about and, uh, in a video right after I pray. Father, use this message today to your glory. Uh, speak to hearts and let them respond uh, to what they need to hear. Let us look for the blind spots. Let us to evaluate where our trust is and why we have trust issues. I pray that each person listening today can understand the value of what it means to have a faithful Lord and Savior, one who does what he says he will do. You are immutable, Father. To you be all glory. Amen.